0: To wrap this this series up would be to tell you of a time in my life where this theme of these of this series played out in my life. It was early 2007, and I was having some, some health issues, and maybe a lot like you, I thought, you know, they just kind of go away, and instead they they got a little worse, they got a little worse, they got a little worse, and I thought, you know, I should probably talk to a doctor about this, and I happened to be married to one, so I just walked upstairs. And I told Lisa, I said, it's probably no big deal, but here's what's going on. And she said, you're right, it's probably not a big deal, but whenever you have these kind of symptoms, you need to go be seen by a specialist. So she made the appointment. And when I say specialist, here's what you need to know about this guy. Of course, he had a specialized field of medicine that he practiced or practices still, but he at that time had been a doctor for about 30 years he had developed a couple of different procedures that are now used by doctors around the world in his field. And kind of the cherry on top, get this, this doctor, when Pope John Paul II had some problems in his field, I guess about 15 years ago, the Pope, the Pope, flew this doctor from Cincinnati to the Vatican to treat him. I mean, if you've got to be seen by a specialist, this is the guy you want to see, right? So I go into his office, And he comes in, and I begin to just tell him a little bit about the symptoms that I've been having, and he stops me right there. He says, as soon as you say that, we need to kind of go in for some more specialized tests. So we scheduled those for April 20th of two thousand seven went into the hospital and thought we were just going to be there for one test, be there kind of early in the morning and, and get out sometime that morning. Instead, as a result of those tests, there were more and there were more, and we didn't get home until late in the afternoon. And the concern was, on those initial tests, was that I had cancer. Doctors said, um, we won't know for sure until Monday. Come back Monday, we'll do another test, and then we'll know for sure whether or not you have cancer. So we lived that weekend, that meantime, wondering, do I have cancer? Came back on April 23rd of 2007 and came in early in the morning and had that test done. He said, go ahead and go home. As soon as I get the results back from this test, I'll give you a call. So we went home and stared at the phone. And we waited all morning, all afternoon, into the evening. And I know exactly what time the phone rang because, forgive me, I paused deal or no deal on my DVR. Never saw how the episode ended But the phone rang, and my wife picked up the phone. And I knew immediately that the news was bad. I could tell by the look on her face and the tears that began to roll down her cheeks. The doctor was telling her that your husband does indeed have cancer. And he said, Beyond that, he said, This is a cancer that is so rare. That in my 30 years of experience of being a doctor, treating the Pope, all this stuff, I've never had a patient with this type of cancer. Said so I've heard about it, I've read about it in, in books, never had a patient with this kind of cancer. The cancer is called mucosal melanoma. And he said, um, there happens to be a melanoma expert in town. He said, I'll get you, I'll call him. He's a friend, a colleague of mine, and we'll try to get you an appointment. Got us in the next day. We met with that doctor and he told us, he said, um, there's two things you need to do up front. You need to schedule uh, time with a surgeon. He gave us two names, said they're both great. He said you want to meet with one of them. And he said you also need to get something done called a PET scan. A PET scan is one of those things, if you're not familiar, that's incredible. It can scan you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet and see if that cancer has spread somewhere else in your body. He said you need to do those two things. So we went home with that information and, be- and began the planning for that. But quickly that week, I began to catch a little bit of a glimpse or understanding of how bad the diagnosis was. Because the first doctor, the Pope doctor, I'd never had this happen before, he started calling us at home. He called me at home, he called me on my cell phone, and he always had this offer. I remember the first time he called me at home and he said, Hey, Tim. He said, um, my wife and I were talking about you and your wife Lisa, and we had just one child, then Andrew, he's about two years old. So we were talking about you guys, and we thought, you know, this weekend, would you like us to maybe come over and watch Andrew and you guys can go out and catch dinner in a movie, something like that? I'm like, what? Okay, and listen to that. And then he called again, and I declined that. And he called again. He said, Tim, I've been thinking about you some more, and I'm thinking, would it be okay with you if I came over and and cut your grass or washed your car? or walked your dog, which would be really helpful if I had a dog, okay? And and, and I listened to all this, and I was kind of, we kind of politely declined, but I thought, how bad must this be? If this doctor wants to wash my car, I mean, how bad must this be? So then I did probably what many of you would have done. I contacted... Just about every Christian that I knew, I didn't care if you were Baptist, Pentecostal, Catholic, Methodist, but if you believed in Jesus, I wanted you praying. And I had a very specific prayer request. I told them, these people, I said, here's the diagnosis, but here's what I don't want. I don't want you to pray that God will encourage me. I don't want you to pray that God will give me peace as we walk through that. All that stuff's important. But I'm calling you with really just one request. I'm calling you to ask you to pray that God would heal me. And a remarkable thing happened. Three people, a Catholic priest, a Pentecostal minister, and a Christian church minister. And that's not the beginning of a joke. They didn't walk into a bar. <laughs> Although that would be quite a bar, wouldn't it? But, um, but they all got back to me, and they basically had the same kind of thought. They all said, Tim and I are one guy. I had served on a staff at a church with him, and I've known him for about 20 years. And he said, Tim, he said, you know me really well. He said, I don't say this lightly. I can't think of many times this has ever happened. But when I was praying for you, I, I felt like God spoke to me about you. It's like, okay, sh- share whatever you think God said. He said, yeah, I, as, as I was praying for you, I feel like God was telling me that he's going to heal you. Now, that certainly beats the alternative, right? But, I mean, all three people came back with, with, with something very similar to that, that God was going to heal me. And who I am by nature, I'm just really skeptical. Faith has not and does not come just easy to me. I just have a lot of skepticism. And I thought, okay, is this really God trying to communicate with me? Or maybe and more likely, are these just some people who know me and know my family and their heart? is getting in the way of their head. Is this really God? Am I supposed to latch on and hold on to this, or is this really something else? And as I was thinking about what to do about that, I remembered the story, and many of you probably know it, of Gideon in Scripture. Gideon is a guy who is the least likely person that you would expect God to use, but that's usually how God works. And God called Gideon to rise up and raise an army, and he said, I will lead you into battle, and you will defeat the enemy. And Gideon Really wasn't sure, okay, is this really God speaking to me? Is this a a huge thing? Is really God going to do this? Am I dreaming this up? You know, what's going on here? So Gideon came up with a way to test God. Many of you know what he did. He he said this prayer to God at night. He said, God, here's what I want to do. I need to know if this is really you speaking to me. So what I want to do, God, is I'm going to go out in the grassy area, and I'm going to place a handkerchief or a fleece is what your Bible might call it, and I'm going to put it in the middle of that grassy area, and then I'm going to go to bed, And tomorrow morning, I want to walk out there, and we usually have dew. I want the grass to be bone dry, but I want that fleece, that handkerchief, to be wet. Gideon goes to bed, and he walks out the next day, and sure enough, the grass is as dry as can be, and he goes over, and he picks up the fleece, the handkerchief, and the Bible said there was so much water in it that when he rang it out, he filled up an entire bowl. I like Gideon because Gideon said, okay, God, that was great, but tonight, you know, can we flip it? and kind of do it again. God's very patient. And Gideon said, tonight, I want to walk out, and tomorrow morning, I want the grass to be absolutely wet, but I want the handkerchief in the middle to not have a drop of water on it. Sure enough, Gideon gets up the next morning, and the grass is wet. Maybe there's puddles, who knows, but the handkerchief doesn't have a drop of water on it. Gideon had tested God, and he now believed what God had said. So I thought, God, I've got to test you in the same way to know if you're really speaking to me that you're going to heal me, that you're going to do this. The fleece thing's been done, so I came up with my own little test. And I didn't tell anybody what I was about to do. I didn't voice it out loud. Um, But I was going to talk to one of those three people who told me that they believed God had told them that he was going to heal me. I said, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to them later today, and I want them to tell me that That you've somehow spoken or communicated to them again. And this is what I wanna hear, God. I want them to tell me that you've said these exact words I've already told you what I plan to do. That was my prayer. Didn't voice it out loud, like I said, didn't tell the person with whom I was gonna talk to later, but I was talking to this person later in the day, and I'm just kinda sitting there waiting to see what happens. Not really sure if it is gonna happen. And the person said, Would it be okay if we prayed? And I said, sure, we can pray. So we prayed, and the prayer was finished. And the person said, Um, Tim, there's one more thing. As I was praying for you, I believe God spoke to me again about you. It's like, really? I said, Yeah. And God wants you to know something. God wants you to know I've already told you what I plan to do. It's like, wow, okay. So I thought I just guess I've got to hold on and latch onto this and go with this. So we went forward, and we had the surgery done, and then we had that PET scan done, and the PET scan came back, and it, was, it wasn't it was as nice as what we wanted. And of course, the PET scan was done before the surgery, so of course it showed the, the primary tumor, but it also showed three little microscopic spots in my liver really small, and I met with my oncologist, and and he said, you know, he said, if we gave a PET scan to everybody, he said, a number of people would come back with some benign cyst here or there, it might not be a big deal, but because of your diagnosis, we need to do a biopsy and find out what those things are. I said, okay, so that was, we scheduled the biopsy, and that was just a whole lot of fun, But we went through that, and it was really difficult for the radiologist. He was trying to fish around and try to get exactly where those spots were because they were just so small. And he got finished, and he said, I think I got a few samples of those spots. And we got the results back, and the results were great. It showed there was no cancer at all in the liver. So... We march on, and we move forward, and we had the surgery, all that's done, the biopsy's finished, and then we go and meet with our oncologist again. And he says, okay, here's where we are in the process now. He said, we've taken care of the original tumor. That's been removed. He said, now we need to move from kind of that mode to prevention mode. And he said, I have one type of prevention for you. It's a treatment called interferon. It is... um, It's 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 an interesting drug. It's something he said that you would come in and that you would take five days a week for the first four weeks, and then you take it once a week for the next forty-eight weeks. It would last a year. He said um, it only has about a forty to fifty percent response rate. Only uh, helps about half the people, but it's basically all we have. He tells me this in his office, and then he hands me this book that's like fifty to sixty pages about what to expect while on this treatment, and then right as we're getting ready to leave, he stops me, and he grabs me by the arm, and he looks me in the eye, and he says, Tim, this is a no-brainer. You have to do this. He had read the book, so we went home, and he scheduled that to start about 10 days later, and we went home, and I took that book, and I put it as far away from me as I could. I had no desire to read it at all, and kind of tucked it away, and then I went up, and on the Wednesday before we were supposed to go in on a Monday to get this treatment to start, I went and picked this book and thought, you know, I should probably start thumbing through this book. And I began to thumb through it. And it said, in the first week, here's what you should expect to experience on this drug. You should expect fevers of 103 to 104, nausea, vomiting, body aches, all those kind of things. It said week two, you should expect to experience all those things in week one, but we're just going to throw a few extras in just kind of for fun. And then it said week three, you should expect to feel suicidal. Now, one thing I haven't told you was the day I was diagnosed, April 23rd of 2007, my wife on that day was seven months pregnant with our second child, a little boy named James. And the day he was due, as the math would kind of unfold, would be two days before I would begin week three of this treatment. Now, if you're a parent, you have kids, you have kids running around your house, if you know what it's like to have like a two-and-a-half-year-old and a a two-day-old in your house, you don't need any help whatsoever to feel kind of, you know, kind of crazy, right? You don't need any help to make you feel that way. So I read week three, and and week four was just, you know, kind of worse and all kinds of stuff, and I thought, you know, maybe I'm not reading this right. So my wife was home. I said, Lisa, I said, can you read this for me and tell me am I just not understanding this properly? So she read it, and I just kind of watched her face the whole time to see how she would respond as she read week one and week two and then week three, and her face was kind of contorting, and she was just, you know, she said, Tim, this this sounds horrible. I said, yeah, it's kind of the same thing I thought. So that night, as a couple and as a family now, we have this nightly routine that we have usually a Bible story and then we have a time of prayer. And I told Lisa, I said, you know, I said, ever since the doctor told us that this was a no-brainer, We haven't really prayed about whether or not to do it. We've prayed that God would help us while while I would take it. But we haven't asked, should we do this? And I thought, now sounds like a great time to ask that question. (laughs) So we prayed, very simple prayer that night. I just said, God, you know what the doctor said to do. You know he said it's a no-brainer, but we're just asking you, should we do this? And that was the prayer. Lisa fell asleep. I was still lying there in bed. And I was thinking, I thought, okay, maybe I've backed myself into a corner because I don't know how to tell God, how to communicate with me in such a way that I'll know beyond any shadow of a doubt that it's him. But I said, God, I I, I just give you this prayer. The next morning. Don't you love when prayers are answered the next morning? The next morning, Andrew, a little two-year-old boy, wasn't quite two-and-a-half yet, We had had the previous fall, so five or six months earlier, some new carpet installed in our living room. And the carpet was then, it was kind of a plush carpet where if you would walk across the carpet, a footprint would be left. Or if you have a two-year-old little boy and you install it in late fall and winter, he becomes really enamored with the fact that you can draw on the carpet. And every day, truthfully, every day, Andrew would ask me to draw a snowman in the carpet. And humbly, uh, I'll tell you, I think I got pretty good at drawing carpet snowman. I, I did it every day. Well, this day, a little after 10 o'clock, Andrew comes in to the living room where this carpet is. Andrew comes in, and he looks up at me, and he looks down at the carpet, and I know what he's going to say. He's going to tell me to draw a snowman. That's what he's asked every day, but not today. This day, Andrew looked down at the carpet, and he looks at me, and he says, Daddy, draw a sign, Daddy, draw a sign. I'm thinking, draw a sign. Okay. I thought, well, he's just started noticing his street sign. So I just kind of go in the carpet and I make a stop sign. And I write the word stop in there. And I'm like, Andrew, what does that say? And he looks down, looks at me, and he says, that says stop. I'm thinking, that's, that's my boy, right? He's two years old. He can read. Andrew looks down at the carpet and he scoots a little more down to his right. And he says, Daddy, draw another sign. Daddy, draw another sign. I'm like, draw another sign. Uh, okay, I'll just draw another stop sign so I do that. I say, Andrew, what does that say? Write the word stop in it. He says, that says stop. And I'm like, I'm calling the news. A little two-year-old boy can read. Andrew, see it so far, just has written two stop signs. Well, now he scoots pretty far down to his left. And he points at the carpet again. He looks up at me, and he says, Daddy, draw another sign. Draw another sign. I'm like, draw another sign. I'm, okay, I'm sick of drawing stop signs. He's kind of noticing shapes now. I'm thinking, oh, a triangle, a yield sign. So I make a triangle, and I write the word yield inside the yield sign. I said, Andrew, what does that say? He looks down. He says, that says stop. (laughs) Like, okay, all right. Maybe we should hold back on, on the genius stuff. I don't know. But, I mean, if you can see this in your mind, the carpet, if you're looking down at it, reads left to right, yield, then there's this big gap, then there's a stop sign and a stop sign. Andrew looks down at that gap in the carpet, and he looks up at me, and he says, Daddy, draw God, Daddy, draw God draw God? How, how do you draw God? I did this day. I, I don't know how to do that. And he just looks down. And he's really adamant. Draw God, Daddy. Draw God. So, okay. So, I just reach down to the carpet, and I write the word God in the carpet. Andrew stands up, runs into the kitchen, probably screaming for fruit juice or something. I'm not sure what. And it hadn't dawned on me yet. But the night before, We had read about this treatment that's a no-brainer that we have to do. It's really kind of the only hope. We have to do this. And then we had read through that book, and we would offered that simple prayer, God, should we do this, should we not do this, and didn't know how God could answer that prayer. And the next day, through a two-year-old little boy, God answered that prayer by writing in my carpet as I look down at it now, yield God, stop, stop, or the way I took it, trust me, give in to me, fall into me, yield to me, trust me, stop, stop. So I went in the kitchen, grabbed the phone, called my wife, and I said, you know that thing we prayed about last night? I said, yeah, you're not going to believe what just happened. (laughs) And she cried a little bit, and I cried a little bit. But I'm really skeptical by nature. And as the day wore on, I thought... That just seems crazy. I mean, God, was that really you? And I'm just kind of going back and forth. And that night, it's bedtime. It's prayer time again with Andrew. And he was two, not quite two and a half. And prayer time was really simple. Then it was just, Andrew, say, thank you, God, for grandma or for grandpa or some new toy. And this night, it was prayer time. And we said, Andrew, it's time to say your prayers. And without missing a beat, Andrew said, thank you, Jesus, for saying stop. That's it. So got on the phone the next day and called the doctor and was in his office a couple days later. And I said, I realized that you told me that this treatment is a no-brainer treatment that I have to do it. But since we last met, God's been writing in my carpet through a two-year-old little boy. (laughs) I didn't really say that part, but I said, I know you said it's a no-brainer, but um we're gonna we're gonna pass. He tried to explain to us, hey, this is really the only thing we have here, um, really aggressive cancer. You really need to do something. I said, I understand that, but we feel like this is, you know, we need to go a different way. He said, okay. He said, um, well, then um, we need to schedule a scan about four to six weeks. We'll do that. Come back, and we'll talk after that. That was end of May, beginning of June of 2007. June 16th rolls along. The month of June goes along, and our second son, James, is born. It was a very simple Easy, painless delivery. It didn't hurt me at all. Um, but, uh, but James is born and he's a healthy kid. Love him, he's great. And the month of June goes on and then July 11th comes and it's time for that next scan that our doctor had scheduled. And we go in for that scan and we get the results back. A day or two later, we're in his office and the results came back and it said there is a significant increase in size and number of liver lesions. The doctor told us, he said, um, before, back in April and May, when we found him and then we did the biopsy, and there were those three microscopic spots in your liver that we couldn't mention. He said, now, those microscopic spots in just about two months have grown to five centimeters, four and a half centimeters, three centimeters. And then there was always this tagline kind of at the end, too many more, or numerous other lesions, too numerous to count or measure. Kind of a throwaway line. He told us, he said, um, it turns out it's good you didn't do that treatment because that was a preventative treatment. That would have just weakened your body. But he told us, um, you need to go and get a biopsy and make sure this is really the original kind of cancer. And we did that, and sure enough, it was. And then we sat in his office in late July of um, 2007. I was 37 years old married, had a um, two and a half year old and a six week old. And we sat in his office and he told me two things I'll never forget. He said, Tim, he said, the cancer in your body is so aggressive and it is moving so quickly that there is a 100% chance that it's somewhere else and we just haven't found it yet. And then the second thing he said, He said, we really only have one treatment option. It's something called biochemotherapy. I'll explain that in a little bit in just a moment. But he said, if it doesn't work or if you don't take it, you've got four months to live. We listened to what he had to say, and we took that news, and we went to my parents' house. They were watching both of our boys, and we drove up the street, the home that I was raised in for much of my life, drove up a street that was very familiar, pulled in the driveway that I'd pulled in and out of many times, pulled in and looked up and saw the window of the room where I grew up. Walked in the house, up the stairs, through the kitchen, onto the back patio where my parents were and my two boys. And I, my mom was holding my six-week-old James. And I had to sit there and tell them, um, here's what the doctor said. The doctor said, basically, it's highly likely that you won't see your youngest child's first Christmas. I told them, I'm not sure the exact words that I told them, but I told them what I had to say, and their backyard has a little low area, and it has a little rise, a little hill. And I walked alone through there, and I started to walk up the hill, and the weight of everything just came over me, and I just fell to my knees, crying and weeping and praying out to God. And only by the grace of God did I get back up. And I got back up, and we went home, and we talked about all that we had heard. We talked about this treatment, and we prayed. And this time, hard to explain, not enough time, but we really believed that God wanted us to do this treatment. So we agreed to do it. I called the doctor, and I said, when do you think we should start this? He said, yesterday. (laughs) It's just that bad. So we went in the hospital on Monday August 13th of 2007. When I walked into the hospital, I was six feet four and I weighed 190 pounds, had lost some weight while I was sick. Three days later, as we began this treatment, I went from, I was still 6'4, but instead of 190 pounds in three days, I went to 206, gained 16 pounds in three days. Eight days later, I would go from 206 pounds to 179 pounds, lost 27 pounds in eight days. Talked with the doctor and he said, "Um, This treatment, here's how this works. He said, You'll be in for a week. You'll go home for two weeks. You'll be in for a week. Go home for two weeks. We'll do this again and again. We'll eventually take a scan. And he said, We'll just keep doing this as long as it helps you or until the alternative. He said, It does come with a lot of side effects. He said, "Um, But you're young, you're 37 years old, you're relatively healthy, you'll probably do as well as anybody could on this treatment. Instead, when the tr- first treatment finished, he said, Tim, I've done this treatment all over from people all over the country countless times. I've never had a person suffer worse side effects than you have. A couple of the side effects I'll tell you about, many I won't, but one, I got a rash from my neck all the way down to my ankles my tongue, a few days into the treatment, looked like somebody ripped it out, just beat the crud out of it, and shoved it back in. I asked my doctor. I said, hey, I said, what's, what's the deal here with the rash and the, and the tongue thing? He said, I don't know. I thought, lie to me, you know? I thought, make something up. Make me feel better. We went on, left the hospital. It was very weak. Um, he said, come to my office next week, and we'll talk about doing the second cycle went into his office. He said, your body's too weak. There's no way you can withstand a second cycle. Let's wait another week. Wait another week, came back in. He said, your body's still not strong enough. He said, how about we do this? How about we do another scan? We'll do another scan. You'll see that things are getting a little bit better, that even though this has been really hard and difficult on you, that that it's getting a little better, and you'll be encouraged when you're strong enough to go for round two. I said, sure, we'll do that. So we went into the hospital, went in, yeah, the hospital on September 11th to get that scan done, and got the results back soon thereafter. And the results this time were much like the results on July 11th. The results on September 11th this was about two months into four months to live said there is again, a significant increase in size and number of liver lesions. In other words, there are more tumors and they are bigger met with the doctor and he said, hey, obviously that treatment has not worked. He said, um, got one other option for you. He's, the biochemotherapy that I took is, are five different drugs all, you know, one time. He said, we can give you one of those drugs and we can give it to you in a super high dose. And he said, um, but I got to tell you up front, he said, it can cause four things in you that you don't have that would kill you. And then he said, perhaps more pertinent to you, he said, it can also cause Heart damage, that's its more common side effects. And I was already dealing with heart issues, wearing a heart monitor, all kinds of stuff from the first treatment. Um, so we listened to what he had to say. My wife asked a really important question. She said, what's the response rate of this treatment? He lowered his head. He said, it, um, it helps, doesn't cure, but it helps about 6 to 10% of the people. So we went home, and we thought back to everything that we had gone through. And we thought back to being diagnosed in April and that really every scan, the treatment, everything since then has just gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. I was told I had four months to live. Now we're two months into that and the tumors are more and they're bigger. But over here, all by itself is what I believed was true, that God had said, I'm going to heal you. But there was no evidence that God was moving. There was no evidence that healing was coming. In fact, all the evidence pointed to the contrary. My wife and I talked about this this other treatment option, and we decided what we were going to do. I called the doctor up, and I said, um, I said, you are an incredible doctor. You could not have treated us better. You've walked with us through this. You, you've been there every step of the way. You've, you've looked for experimental treatments here and there and all these kind of things, and we appreciate everything you've done for us, but we're not going to do that treatment option that you suggested. And he said, okay, believing, you know, maybe we had sought a second opinion. He said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, we've decided that our treatment option it's going to be prayer. It was about that quiet on the phone. And he paused and he stuttered and stammered a little bit. And he said, um, well, okay. He said, um, how about this? Would you come back in a month? This is like early October, late September. Would you come back in a month and just kind of, if you get sick before then or sicker, <laughs> would you call me? But just come back in a month and we'll just kind of check in then. I said, yeah, I'll come back in a month. Um, that was the end of September. October, so far in September, I was really weak, couldn't play with my kids or anything. October kind of rolls along, and I gained a couple of the pounds back that I'd lost. I was playing with my kids a little bit, even cut the grass twice. It was a much better month than anybody anticipated. And I walked into his office in early November, and he walked into the room where I was sitting, and he looked at me and gave me this really strange look, and he said, Tim, you don't look right. And I thought a couple things that I didn't say. And he said, you know, you don't look the way I expected you to look. I said, okay. He said, Something, something's just not right here. He said, how about we get one of those scans again? I said, sure, we'll get a scan. Got that scan right before Thanksgiving. Got the results back the day before. And this time, the scan results were a little better. This time, the scan results were there are no new tumors, and a couple of those other tumors had gotten a little bit smaller. We met with him after we got those results, and he said, Tim, this doesn't make any sense. um, Just go home and do whatever you've been doing and come back in two months. Sure, we'll do that. So we went home and came back in two months in early February, and we got another another scan. And these scan results came back, and it was really kind of crazy. These scan results came back that they had a difficult time clearly making out the liver. They, they, they said, their exact words were, the tumors are less conspicuous and less distinct. Sitting in my doctor's office, he's reading this, he's reading this to me. Kind of says, hold on, leaves the room. Okay, leaves the room. He comes back in. I was like, what's going on? He said, I had to go talk to one of my other doctors and kind of brag about you and about what's going on here. He said, because Tim, let me tell you what's happening. He said, Your cancer got worse and worse and worse and worse. And then we gave you a treatment and it got worse again. And then you stopped doing any treatment. He said, I have no medical explanation for this, but your cancer's going away. He said, You bore me. Go home, come back in four months. You want to be boring to your cancer doctor, right? So we went home and spent the next four months doing what we usually do and we were praying. And he scheduled the next scan for July 11th of 2008. Ironically, on July 11th of 2007, I had a scan done. It told me I had stage four cancer. I was given four months to live. On July 11th of 2008, got another scan. And the scan results were interesting. They didn't really see any cancer. And they said, in this one, we can't even find the liver. It's not even there. It's gone, okay? Doctor said, this doesn't make any sense. He said, let's forget that. Let's go for the PET scan." Let's go really big. So we went for the really big scan. So we got the PET scan results and we got those results back. And whenever we'd get scan results back before, when it got to the liver, there would be this paragraph. And this paragraph would list every tumor they could measure. And it would say the size, location, all this kind of stuff. It'd be this really long thing and that throwaway line, numerous other tumors, too numerous to count or measure. But this scan result only had one sentence when it came to the liver. It very simply said, there is a complete resolution of liver lesions. In other words, the cancer in my liver was gone. And I've told this story many times. It's an incredible and fantastic story, isn't it? And you know, if I was writing the story, that's how it would end. If I was writing the story, we would be told that the cancer is gone, the screen would just kind of fade to black, and maybe there would be a few words on what's happened to this person and this family since then. I mean, maybe it would say on the screen, we've been interviewed a couple different times on television by, by different groups. Channel 19 came and interviewed us, and they also interviewed our oncologist. And he said something which was really interesting. He said, this is the closest thing to a miracle that he has ever seen. Big words for him. I've had the chance, maybe it would say I've had the chance to share this story all over. I've shared this story in churches and in schools, conferences, retreats, even told it once in a theater that had a bar That was a lot of fun. I mean, any time I have a chance to tell this amazing story of a God who still answers prayer, who still heals, who still is active and present in our life, it's just a fantastic story. Yet, if you've been here during this series, you know that God rarely writes a story how we would write it. You were here a few weeks ago. We talked about John the Baptist. You were here. Do you remember that? Remember John the Baptist? He's an interesting character. God calls him to prepare a way for the Messiah, and he does it, and he's faithful. He even baptizes Jesus, and then he tells all of his followers, stop following me. Go follow that guy. That's the guy. He's faithful, and he's arrested, and he's beheaded. That's puzzling, isn't it? I mean, that's not the way you'd write the story, is it? Remember last time that we were together as a group, we talked about Lazarus. And the Lazarus story begins, and we're told very clearly, John wants us to know this, that Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters, that he loves them. In fact, Jesus loves Lazarus and his sisters so much that when Lazarus gets sick, Jesus doesn't show up, and he lets Lazarus die. That's puzzling, isn't it? I mean, sure, you could say, well, but yeah, but he came in and he, and he brought him back to life. Yeah, he did that. But don't forget, his sisters didn't know that was going to happen. His sisters stood by his bedside, watched him get sicker and sicker and sicker. They watched him die. They put him in a tomb before Jesus ever showed up to do anything about it. And, and, and if I'm writing that story, that's not the way I'd write the story. Yet Jesus writes a lot of stories that way. And I would find out that mine would be no different. Because in late 2009, the cancer came back. It's not at all what we anticipated. That was puzzling. Sure, don't misunderstand. It doesn't change anything about the fact that God promised to heal me. The cancer came back. They were able to remove the cancer, and I'm totally healthy and fine now, no problems whatsoever, didn't spread to my liver. But that's not the way I saw the story going. That's not the way I thought God would move or act. In fact, in the months after being told in July of 08 that the cancer was gone, I went through a pretty good period of time where I wrestled and struggled with a whole lot of fear and anxiety. But let me tell you what happened. What happened? almost immediately after being told that the cancer had returned, I really had this sense. I had the sense that the voice of God was whispering to me, Tim, do you still believe me? Even now, in this moment, do you still trust me? Remember last time, one last thing about the Lazarus story. Do you remember in the Lazarus story when Jesus finally shows up. Remember what happens? He finally shows up. He's on the road and Martha comes running. Martha's sad. She's mad. She's full of all kinds of emotion and she runs to Jesus. She meets him on the road and she says, if you'd only been here, if you would have only came when we called you, Jesus, this is your fault. If you'd only been here, Lazarus, my brother, wouldn't have died. Where were you? It's your fault. Remember what Jesus said? said to her. In that moment, he didn't race to the tomb and raise Lazarus back. Didn't do that yet. Instead, he paused and he looked at her. And I think very lovingly, he said, Martha, in this moment, when you're confused and puzzled and angry, do you still believe in me? In in, in this moment, Martha, before the answer comes, do you trust me? And listen, I believe this with all my heart. That is the question. In those times of life that leave you puzzled, and perhaps you're in one of those moments right now, when God doesn't act the way that you would expect God to act, before the answer comes, God whispers to you, do you believe me? Do you trust me? Before you see what I'll do, do you trust me even now? Because listen, More important than what you pray about is what God is doing in you while you wait. More important than the answer to your prayer request is what God, how he's molding you and shaping you and drawing you to himself. And the only way to get to that place is through the road of ruthless trust. So in that moment, before the answer comes, Jesus whispers to you, do you trust me? I want to close with this verse. It's one of my favorites. And I love how the message, the message version, Eugene Peterson treats it. The words of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says. I think it wraps up our series really well. Jesus says, I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured deeply at peace. Because in this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. But he says, take heart because I've conquered the world. You see, there is a great peace that comes from God in the midst of the battle from trusting in the one who has already conquered, from trusting in the one who's already won the war. You're going to experience difficulties. You're going to be puzzled at times. You're going to not understand why things have gone the way they have. And in those moments, Jesus says, take my hand and trust me. Let's pray. Father, you're good. Father, there is nothing that is impossible with you. There is is no difficulty we face too big. There's no marriage that's beyond repair. There's there's no long-lost child who you can't bring back to you. There's no cancer that's too big for you to heal. God, again and again, you've shown this. You've shown this in your word. And Lord, you've shown this in our lives. And all of the glory and all of the praise and all the honor belongs to you. But God, even bigger than that is what you ask us. You ask us every step of the way, hold on to me, trust me, believe me. God, I think about the words of Peter. I may not understand everything that's going on, but Lord, where else am I gonna go? So God, I just place my hand in yours and I trust you. I thank you for what you've done. I pray you'd help us to just totally fall into you and trust you with every ounce of our being. You are a good and gracious and kind and powerful God. We love you and we worship you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.